Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to The Shift, the podcast that aims to tell the no holds bar truth about being a woman post 40. Created and hosted by me, journalist and author, Sam Baker. My guest today has been MP for Birmingham Yardley since 2015. She still lives in Birmingham with her husband and two sons, not far from where she grew up with her activist parents, going to Women's Liberation Playgroup and hanging out with her nan, who listened to Prime Minister's questions while ironing. She has also written four books because she's obviously got so much spare time on her hands. The latest is Everything You Need to Know About Politics, a typically noble guide to the ins and outs of being an MP. When I start to go through the menopause, if I am still in Parliament, I will say, sorry, my mind's gone foggy now. It's because I'm going through the menopause. Jess is quite unlike any other MP I've ever met. She joins me to talk about believing you can, why Carrie Bradshaw's behaviour is problematically coercive, and every girl has a cousin Anne. She also says she won't be standing for leader of the Labour Party anytime soon. Older women are woefully underrepresented. And when the time comes, she'll be wearing her menopause proudly in Parliament. Jess, we're going to hold you to that. Welcome to The Shift, Jess. Thanks for coming on. First of all, tell me where you are. Are you in your Instagram-worthy living room? I am in my Instagram. It's not that Instagram-worthy. Like everything on Instagram, I can curate small squares of it to look that Instagrammable. Yes. <laughs> but yes, I'm in my living room, in my house in Birmingham. Cool. Before we go anywhere else, how the hell did you find time to write a book? Or four books, in fact, not just the yeah. one. I mean, I don't really know the answer to that question because I don't have that much time. I write books quite quickly, I suppose, is one of the tricks. It doesn't take me very long. I can write like sort of 6,000 words in an afternoon, if not 10 sometimes. Um, Oh, my God. uh, Yeah, bear in mind, of course, that I am only really writing about my own experiences and my opinion. 
there's not a great amount of research that goes into that. <laughs> you know, so I already know what I'm writing. I find it much, much harder to write a dissertation at university than I find it to write a 70,000 word book because, you, you know, I'd have to reference anything. So, yeah, I can be really disciplined and write because I'm in London a lot of the time and I, my family don't live there. I have evenings often in my office after all the meetings are finished. You know, it'd be nine o'clock at night and I don't sleep very well. So I will write when I'm in my flat away from my family once I've done my work. And I have to fill my time. The incidental time that you're like watching the television and being with your people or I have a lot of that time where I'm on my own because I'm away from my family. So I use a lot of that time. Also, I find Sundays really boring. So I just write on a Sunday. You don't like lie on the sofa and watch Succession or anything? On that particular occasion, no. I tried to watch Succession and I couldn't get on board with it. But I absolutely do. In the last three weeks, I've watched the entirety of Sex and the City from the beginning to the end. Not like I was doing yeah. a job, um, but that's because I don't have a book to write at the moment. So in the times when I'm away from my family and I'm not writing a book or working, I watch endless box sets. Sex and the City, I've got to say, it's not how I remember it. Has it not travelled well? Well, in some ways it has. The clothes are the same as they are now, so it's nice that things have gone back round again. Um, <laughs> but in the first two seasons, I definitely remember thinking that Carrie Bradshaw was in the right and that Big was terrible to her. On re-watching it, and now having been trained in sort of coercive control and abuse, I realised that Carrie Bradshaw was stalking Mr Big um, and one occasion punches him and gives him a black eye. She meets his ex-wife without telling him. She tries to muscle in with his mother when he says he doesn't want her to. I have to say I find her behaviour in seasons one and two to be problematically abusive. <laughs> and it gets worse as well because season one's actually the best season, I think. Yeah, it does get, and she's awful to Aiden. Poor uh, Aiden. Doesn't Aiden get on your nerves a bit, though? He does, but I have to say, when I was a teenager, I used to watch the TV programme Northern Exposure, which yes! he was in. I loved, I loved that. him in that, and I loved that. So he is ever protected in my memory by the memory of watching Northern Exposure late at night in, like, 1992. Yeah, back when there were four TV channels. Yeah, and you had to basically watch the weird imported TV programme. <laughs> Let's get to the point. How did a girl like you, basically an ordinary girl from an ordinary, if politically, yeah. pretty politically aware background, mm -hmm. how did you get into the bastion of white male privilege? With uh, both naivety and persistence in equal measure. <laughs> I thought I could, so I did. And I recognise that that is not the way that it works for most people. But I was naive enough to just think one day, I'm going to try and become a member of parliament and then just go about doing it. You know, I, I suppose there's an element of luck in it in that regard but when I set my mind at something I tend to achieve it and I really set my mind I wasn't a member of the Labour Party uh, until uh, I mean I was when I was a kid but then we'd left and I rejoined and within six months I think I'd been selected to be the local council candidate for a seat in Birmingham which was held by the Tories but then I beat them in the election in that must have been 2012 which I wasn't expected to do I wasn't expected to win like I didn't know about how you get selected to parliament or anything I went on a training course I think you've got to try and be a bit memorable as well because I went on this training course it's called the future candidates program in the Labour Party because Ed Miliband and this is the luck element of it Ed Miliband when he was the leader of the Labour Party he because we'd had the sort of Blair years 
of sort of polished, line-driven mm. politics. And he wanted people who had been like community campaigners in their local areas to be candidates of things. And I was that. I'd been, you know, doing lots of community activism in my local area, but I was also working at Women's Aid and was politically active in trying to inform the government on what to do on violence against women and girls. And so I applied to go on this training thing. The Labour Party and the union movement own a series of what looked like stately homes in the countryside in various different places they're owned often by the union and they're used for like teacher training and things but this one was in like this sort of hotel-y place in Barnsley that we all went to for this training and on the very first day of that training I went into my hotel room there was a bird in there flying around here and I ran I ran out into the corridor I was like there's a bird in my room there's a bird made a massive commotion and then had to help some people from the Labour Party get this bird out of my room safely obviously we're not the hunting type we're the the get the bird out of the room safely type of people and I genuinely then think I was just the most memorable person because of the bird thing so when selection started to come up people would ring me and say oh you know have you considered practicing trying out and going for this selection for this seat and I genuinely put it down to being a bit memorable I'm I'm sure I was memorable for other reasons I'm sure you are yeah there's a huge (laughs) amount of luck in it and that's not the way the system should work is it that you should just be lucky enough to have have a bird in your bedroom. Yeah, have a bird <laughs> in your room. Genuinely, and I think that this is a sort of dangerous sort of uh, thing to say because the idea that if women don't believe in themselves enough, that's the reason they don't end up where they are is rubbish. They don't end up where they should be because of structural and inherent sexisms in our society that make them doubt themselves. But I I never once doubted that I would be able to become a member of parliament when I decided that that's what I wanted to do. I never crossed my mind to think that it was a difficult thing to do. It's not like I knew lots of members of parliament. I didn't know any. I didn't know anyone who'd even tried to become one. You know, I just thought, well, there's a process. I'll go through the process and I'll try and shine throughout the process. But there was a heavy amount of naive belief in that. Right at the beginning, you said... I thought I could, so I did. And I bet like nearly everyone listening will have gone, how the hell do you pull that off? How did you get that? I was born and groomed to that position because I'm the only girl and I've got three brothers. My parents went very, very heavy on the, there's nothing you can't do constantly. Like, um, Are you the youngest as well? Yeah, yeah, I'm the youngest. So I was constantly like, oh, okay, there's nothing I can't do. You know, I think my mum was really, 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 really worried that people would like treat me like a little girl, especially because I was the youngest. And she really hated when people were like, oh, did you keep going to have a girl? And she'd be like, no, she was a total accident. She didn't want to have like a little girl. She just, happened to get pregnant and I happened to be uh, a little girl but they were really really like you being a girl is not a barrier the barrier is someone else's you can do what and that like you know will create a monster essentially that (laughs) that, that level of grooming at a young age will do that to you were you an obnoxious kid yeah awful not that I'm saying you're an obnoxious adult (laughs) (laughs) I am sometimes an obnoxious adult to be fair I was very precocious and because I was clever when I first went to school I really like to think they don't do this now the school system wasn't particularly good in the early 1980s but I was made to feel special because I was clever in a sort of big comprehensive school where the vast majority of the kids were from the sort of the then big council estates I was quite a show-off. I still am quite a show-off. So, yeah, I definitely was quite a lot. But my teachers mainly always liked it rather than just being like, oh, God, what a pain in the ass. Until I went to secondary school, they didn't like it so much then. No, because I went to one of those great big 
state comprehensives in the kind of late 70s, early 80s. And uh, I wasn't made to feel special for being clever. I was made to believe, let's keep it as, like, as down low as you possibly can so nobody notices, including the teachers, actually. Yeah. At my primary school, they definitely didn't try and squash it. They made me feel like I was special. And because I grew up in Birmingham and we have the grammar school system, there is a bit of when you're at primary school, the week from the chaff, like, you know, oh, these are the kids that will get into the grammar school and these are the kids that will go to the local comprehensive. And definitely my school sort of saw me as an opportunity to send a kid to the grammar school. And I think I was one of only three or four kids from my school who did go on to go to the grammar school. When I got to the grammar school, my special precociousness and interest in left-wing politics was not quite so well enjoyed. <laughs> <laughs> so you left the Labour Party and rejoined it. How yeah. old were you when you joined it in the first place? I joined it when I was 14, which is as young as you can be to join the Labour Party, and I didn't join it. It's like your first Holy Communion or your butt messenger. <laughs> You joined the Labour Party at 14. It was given to me as a gift. A woman called Chris from around the corner, who I still love and see, and whenever I see her, she's like, it's all my fault that you're in the position you're in. She came round with the forms and I had to sit there and sign them. It cost £1, which I think it still is. Inflation has not affected the youth membership price of the Labour Party. And yeah, so I was signed up to the Labour Party. So that would have been in like, like 1994, 1995. So many girls get it squashed out of them, don't they? About that 14, 15 sort of age. You see so many girls kind of vanish. It's almost like the first stage that girls vanish is about yeah. 15. And there's a problem that lots of people have highlighted to me about the education system, specifically around how girls vanishing from the system is quieter than boys vanishing from the system, especially if you're thinking about things like the presentation of ADHD or autism. It often presents as compliance in young women, whereas in young men, it can be, you know, the sort of acting out, the being difficult mm. in class. Girls will go quiet and fall below the radar at school. They will just do the minimum. And that's much easier to deal with than when boys are starting to drop out of the system. Like somebody once told me that people think that girls are better at English because they have better handwriting. And it's literally as something as yeah. like, doesn't it look pretty what she's written? And actually nobody's like trying to invest in the, the content of what she's writing and looking at other things because it looks nice. And there's all sorts of those gender norms that exist, certainly existed when I was at school that definitely meant that it was easier for girls to disappear quietly without anyone noticing. And that translates into everything, doesn't it? Because it's like you've got nice, neat handwriting and you've got nice, neat clothes and you're nicely turned out yeah. and all of those things that girls are expected to do to fit in. Yeah. With what success looks like. My mum had, uh, Cousin Anne was the the, the benchmark she had to live by. Like her hair was never as neat as Cousin Anne's and her clothes were never as tidy and she would come home looking scruffy and Cousin Anne would never do that. And Cousin Anne was very good at needlework. There's always a Cousin Anne you're being compared to. Yeah, who's your Cousin Anne? um, I mean, at my school, they would have definitely compared me to, they'd have been like, you're very clever. If only you could be more like, you know, Nancy and she's ever so good and goes to orchestra every Saturday and you're just messing about with boys so there was definitely like the good girls who did the right thing and it was a disappointment because you're clever but if only you could behave better in a more reasonable way however my mum and dad definitely didn't think that my mum and dad sort of 
almost needled me to be more rebellious. The school used to write to my mum and say things like, Jess's skirt is too short. And my mum would be like, I've got eyes. Like, you know, <laughs> I don't care what length of her skirt is. It's on you to encourage her to wear the right skirt, not me. And when I was caught smoking outside school, mum just wrote back and said, well, she doesn't smoke outside my house, so you're getting something wrong. <laughs> so they're your rules if you want to make her conform you're going to have to inspire her to conformity and my mum whenever I was in trouble and she had to go up to school she would always back me up to the teacher she would always like back me up and then at home give me a massive bollocking and be like I'm sick of going to that bloody school I'm sick of having to deal with it like she'd go absolutely apeshit at me but in front of other people she was like on my team but yeah they encouraged me to answer back if I didn't think things were right although my mum used to try and encourage me to do it in a reasonable manner um <laughs> like you know so I don't agree with you whereas I didn't necessarily manage that I'd be like oh, that's rubbish miss can't say that you're wrong and so I didn't like my secondary school because we literally were told things and I'm, it's not like this now I'm sure that you're better than the other girls I was cousin Anne. I didn't want to be cousin Anne. I wanted to be my mom your mum died more than 10 years ago now. Yeah. yeah. What do you think she would think if she could see you sticking it to them? Uh, I, the mean, I know she would be incredibly proud. I think she would feel in the way that my dad does. Um, and my dad feels it, I think, because of his age and people become naturally more cautious as they get older. Like my, my dad worries about me. Like I think that they would seek for me to temper it sometimes, certainly my language. Although uh, that is just absolute rubbish. My mother swore more than most people. If she ever dropped anything in the kitchen, it would be literally like a novel's worth of swear words that would come out. But I think that she would feel anxious sometimes about how far I'm willing to push things sometimes. But she would be incredibly proud and to be certainly incredibly pleased and proud of herself mm. for the feminist stance that I take on things. My mother-in-law once said to me, I want to get a T-shirt that says Jess Phillips is my daughter-in-law and wear it everywhere because she feels proud that she's part of the Aww. building of me and sometimes when I'm saying things it's because she said them to me and like we're like a team of women who sort of like built each other up so my mum would feel proud of herself. Your mum and your nan who I love that image of her ironing while yelling at Prime Minister's questions yeah, probably, yeah, yeah. and your mother-in-law they're like the women who shaped you. Oh, yeah, totally. And funny enough, my conservative family, so uh, my dad's mum was uh, a Tory, voted for Thatcher, bought a council house, my nan as well, so my great nan, her, her mum. And they were, to say matriarchal, wouldn't even cut it. And they were matriarchal because every single man in their family was wiped out by the war. So mm -hmm. my dad grew up in a house with an auntie, uh, a grandma and his mum, and all of the men were dead. So my dad was raised by these amazing women who then also raised me and they were whilst Tory voting the most community minded people like they would do anything for the people on their estate but not just do anything like on an individual basis they would set things up they would make structural changes so they'd be like right we're going to have a tenants association because you know the council's not listening to us so we're going to set this up and then we're going to make a formal arrangement so they have to listen to us so all of the women in my life who I grew up with as a kid and as an adult and having my own children built me into either the thing you say before or for some people the monster <laughs> at times I am monstrous no doubt there's many many women who definitely built me so 2015 you got to parliament did you feel any pressure to 
not be you to change the way you behaved or dressed or no when I was first there I used to wear converse almost every day and um... I love you (laughs) (laughs) and now actually I dress more smartly but largely out of choice I just quite like buying smart clothes now the first time you put on a suit jacket if you're a person who never wore a suit jacket you feel a a bit like a man and also I just felt like I look funny I look funny in smart clothes because I'd never really had a job where I had to wear them because we largely were doing community work so at first I didn't feel feel any pressure but if I feel pressure to behave a certain way I will almost immediately act the opposite way out of defiance so I didn't feel any pressure and I didn't do it and maybe now I, I do it out of choice because I see myself as a person who it's okay for me to wear smart clothes now. Um, but I still would wear, I mean, the other day I went into the chamber and I was wearing like baggy pyjama collot things and a white t-shirt. You're not meant to show your arms, but it's hot. <laughs> so I just like, sorry if my attire is not appropriate. Anyway, I've got something important to say about rape, which I think is probably considerably more important than the fact that I've got a white t-shirt on and you can probably see my bra. No, I didn't feel any pressure actually certainly didn't feel a pressure to speak a different way and not use my accent and things I mean it's not just our country lots of countries have a massive problem with ambitious women women in power women speaking their mind the list of people on the sharp end of that just goes on and on but absolutely you are forthright Jess Phillips (laughs) how did they cope with that I mean, you know, strident women in Westminster, it's not a new thing. Um, (laughs) And so I suppose stridentness often would present itself perhaps differently. You know, sort of like blue stocking Tory strident women is definitely like a thing. But I think the thing that is different, and I credit all the women that went before me for enabling me to be able to get away with this. They had to put in the hard yards of getting women to be considered to be serious before I was able to joke and have a laugh Mm. as part of what I do. Now, I don't think it was a lack of skill or humour on the part of the women that went before. It's that they had to do the hard work as if they'd tried to be funny. They would have been treated as if they weren't serious and political. And so I am, you know, I'll be forever grateful to Ellen Wilkinson and Barbara Castle and Harriet Harman for basically having to paint themselves as moaning Harridans, uh, essentially. Mm-hmm. I mean, Harriet Harp, Harp person, you know, the whole thing, like that she had to be presented as being sort of dour and moany and Claire Short, who did sound just like me because she was mm-hmm. from Birmingham, had to be sort of like, you know, cross about page three and she wouldn't have been allowed to be humorous about it in the same way that I can poke fun at things to be strident at and they had to do all that so that people like me can exist so I I am forever grateful but the way that I was received by the Tory benches was either with fear in that this woman might just say any old thing oh my god she might actually just say anything at any moment real admiration and I would say that that's almost as bad as the sort of sexism and the treating you like you're a kid chewing gum like with your tie funny which I also Mm. definitely received and the admiration sometimes felt like you were like a rare thing that they'd never seen you're a tone of surprise yeah Yeah. like you're like a bird of paradise and you're a little bit like you know I've never met a person like you before and it's just like (laughs) 99% of the people 
<laughs> like, you know, it's not that unusual. And I used to sometimes find some of the adoration that I would receive from sort of old guard Tory men to be like, I, I remember saying it to my dad once and he said, it's just noblesse oblige. They feel like they have to be polite to people like you. Uh, and I was just like, <laughs> oh, great. Like, you treat me like I'm a scullery maid. Um, <laughs> um, I used to find that sometimes, like it was an act, like being a funny, brummy woman is an act mm. and that I would find sometimes quite difficult to deal with but yeah people were sexist to me you constantly be told oh this isn't student politics you're not in a common room now and I thought I never had a debate in a common room in my life mate I was round the back smoking fags kissing boys I wasn't debating <laughs> things in a common room I don't know who you think I am I wasn't in the debate <laughs> team at university I was in the rave team Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This like if I was getting like impassioned about something. Oh, it's so patronizing. It's so patronizing. So I'd just be like, did you just shush me? And then they would stop it because it is dangerous if a person will just say something. I remember saying to, uh, his name's Justin Tomlinson. I said to him, you're not my dad. (laughs) Stop telling me to be quiet. He He told me to calm down. I was just like, you're not my dad. Like, piss off. Like, who are you? Like, stop talking to me like that. It's unacceptable. Don't do it. But I will call things out. And so I'm potentially a dangerous person to have around. (laughs) I don't have bad faith in them until they prove otherwise. And that sort of generosity of spirit, I would give out. And so you eventually receive that back when people don't think you're just like, you know, there to rabble rose. It sort of settles in after a while. They do their fair share of rabble rousing. It's just the rabble rousing they identify with. And also, honestly, the level for humour in Westminster and what people will laugh at in the Chamber of the House of Commons. I have never once got a joke 
there's sometimes where <laughs> someone will just say something really, really, really quick in the moment and you think that was clever. I'll be like, well done, that was funny. But it wouldn't necessarily get a laugh, but I can recognise, like I remember one time, uh, George Osborne just said, we're going to offer two things to the country. And Kevin Brennan just shouted, smoke and mirrors. And I thought, oh, that's really, that was really quick. <laughs> that was good. really yeah. quick, yeah. So I was like, oh, quick. Like I wasn't like falling around on the, the floor laughing. But people will say something in Westminster and everybody will laugh. And I'm like, I didn't get it. Like, it's not funny. And it's because they're not actually laughing. They're just being a rabble. And they're just making that noise that they all make. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's like a moo said. And I thought it was just the effect of a crowd all doing like, like at the same time. Mm. But they actually make a nasal noise. There is actually like a noise like, like, (laughs) I was like, what just happened? Like, what is that noise? It's really weird. It's really nasal. Horrible. I know the noise you mean, but I don't think I can do it. And I'm not going to try now. I know that they're not quite in the Dark Ages, but it's so much a boys' club, isn't it? It is. It doesn't feel from outside like women in Parliament are equal yet. Is that fair? Yeah, that's totally fair. I can't envisage that in my lifetime, both the subject matter of women in the country Mm. and the women in the actual building will be equal to the men. And that's much more, I think, about not necessarily in Westminster, in the building, But the reality of the life of a member of parliament has so many more burdens for a woman than it does for a man, uh, whether that's the abuse and death threats and and having to have your head knocked off or the clothes that you wear, having to have that dissected, um, having to still be cleverer, better, had more experience to even get there. And also just like the marginality of your constituency, women are much more likely to have marginal seats, so they're much more likely to be there for a short period of time so affecting change over a long period of time will inevitably be left to like Margaret Hodge and Harriet Harman (laughs) she sadly died recently the longest serving woman Tory MP Gerald Gillen who was a lovely woman and definitely thought that Westminster should be better for women but she'd only been in since like the mid 90s so people like Margaret Beckett Margaret Hodge Harriet Harman they'll almost certainly for many 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 years be the longest serving women who've ever been there that won't be easy for people to take over whereas every year some man takes over the last record for the Mm. longest serving man we have shorter tenures I have to do way more domestic labour than most of my male colleagues it's as simple as that so what happened to your domestic labour during the pandemic um I've got to say it slipped in a big way (laughs) much like the education of my children um I am not a fair example of this because my domestic labour is not split and it is not split in my benefit. As we came on to this podcast, my husband was making a noise with a food processor, making pizza dough. In his lunch break, he's come home from work to in his lunch break, make sure that the dough is ready so that later when he comes home, he will oh be able God. to cook the pizzas for the kids. Keeper? I oh, know, total keeper. Also amazing cook. Also hotty. My husband is the most yes. Instagrammable thing about my life. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, literally in everything that he does is Instagram. But he's also a political asset in that he's like a white van driving working class man. <laughs> so he, he's like... You know. <laughs> Somebody will pick that up and run with it. Yeah. <laughs> 
Watch you don't accidentally commit news. <laughs> All the time, it will happen. So my husband has always really been the primary carer of our kids since they were about two or three, since the youngest one was about two. And even before that, he did 50-50, but it's been very 60, 40, 70, 30 since then. Like when we moved out of our last house, which we'd lived for 10 years, I had to ask him how to get down the side access of the house and where the dustpan was. And he was like, we have lived here for 10 years. <laughs> how do you not know? how to open the side gate to take the bins out, Jess. I was like, just somebody else's job. Um, yeah, well, yeah, I guess you're away Monday to Wednesday. And yeah. bin day Monday to Wednesday? No, says. Friday. No? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I, I, I tried. I, mean, I do it now. I do it now. I do do. And also, I just would take the, take the bin out through the house. I just used to do it through the house because in the that we didn't have wheelie bins then. Uh, we had the yeah. packing bag, so I would just pick it out the bin and take it through the house. So your book, I've got to say, Jess, reads a bit like a manifesto. <laughs> I can't help that though, can I? Because I just yeah, like, my no. whole life is like a manifesto. Leadership bid next time? Oh God, no, definitely not. No, not definitely not next time. I just I found it absolutely soul destroying. I think there's got to be a better way of getting leaders to be leaders of political parties because I don't think anything about the contest makes for talking to the country. We're just talking to ourselves and like allows for I don't know sparkle. I suppose, mm. <laughs> but you, you know, and I just found it to be sort of unbearable also it massively sucked my life away and the thing that makes people like me in politics is the life bit of me remains mm. and you forget what you're fighting for if that bit is gone and I just found it like just I just it, I did not thrive in the environment so I doubt it maybe one day you know when I've got less of a life anyway <laughs> yeah. if you could change that though you'd attract a lot more women to politics oh yeah you? I agree I mean I think that there's a fundamental systematic flaw in the way that we select candidates, the way we elect candidates, the way that we have people rise up, uh, the way that we, uh, the political parties have leadership, all, all of that. I think that there is a huge amount of flaws in it that means you often end up with the system not changing that much marginal shifts around the side but it needs a shift that makes it feel like it's about the people that's always fundamentally all I ever want is it to be about the people I find politicians to be quite you know it's quite boring isn't it like although Matt Hancock has provided us with at least some <laughs> gossip hours of entertainment hours of oh. memes related gossip isn't it awful the way they're treating his wife I, I cannot yeah oh, but on a serious note, I know the answer, but I'm going to ask you, would a female MP even remotely get away with any of no. this shit? No, 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 <laughs> no, absolutely not. Um, because like morality for women is up is up here and, and down here for men. And like, you know, it's still the sort of whores or saints, sort of the angels yeah. idea. You know, women have affairs and, and women in Westminster have affairs. I, I don't want to suggest otherwise. But they would recover from it. Watch this space. Yeah, he will, oh, yeah. will fail up. But By the time this comes out, he'll probably be back. Oh, almost certainly. <laughs> and the best comparator of that, of course, is that if I had six children with three different men and I had abandoned one of them and never saw them, and I was now going out with like a 20 year old Labour Party staffer from the press office, mm. I wouldn't 
have been elected to Parliament, let alone would I have risen to be the Prime Minister of the country. And had your marriage dissolved so you could marry him, thereby making all of your other children who thought they weren't illegitimate, illegitimate. Illegitimate. Yeah, he obviously just wanted to up the numbers of illegitimacies. Uh, (laughs) I do have one illegitimate child, one born out of wedlock and one born in wedlock. And the one born in wedlock likes to use this as a wedge issue against the other one. (laughs) Oh, little sod. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's like the double standards, though, they are huge, aren't they? They aren't getting any I would be considered to be a massive slag. But also, not just that, my children. I own my children more than Matt Hancock owns his in the eyes of mm, yeah. society, political rhetoric, like how could she do that to her children? Now, I think how could he do that to his children? I think that about Matt Hancock, but mm. he, he doesn't have to wear it the way I would have to wear it. I would have to wear it massively more than he did. Just even like three babies with three different men definitely wouldn't get me to PM. And also, I know that Carrie is not 20. She's actually, she's younger than me. But he's considerably older than me. So the age difference, I would have to go out with somebody who was 20. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. I have got to ask you, you've been really forthright about endometriosis and HPV and getting pregnant by, you know, all things gynecological. Um, I can't imagine that you're going to be cowed by menopause and just sit in prime minister's questions and sweat quietly when you're 50. No, no, definitely not. Uh, I, I would probably point it out. I would probably say I'm sweating a lot because, you know, I'm going through the menopause, you know, and that is the way that I would deal with it. I think that talking about it is my weapon. It's the weaponry that I would always use. But no, absolutely not. I know so little about the menopause. I'll send you a good book, um, (laughs) I I just realised recently, like, how... Like, my friend of mine is perimenopausal at the age of 40. And we sat down talking about it. And I just was like, God, like, we don't know what to ask for. We don't know. Whereas in sexual health and things like that, I'm armed with the detail that if I go into the doctor, I know at least, even if there's going to be pushback, what I'm there to demand. But I wouldn't have the first clue what I was there to demand with menopause. And I'm an oversharer and I'm surrounded by oversharers. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about my mum going through the menopause. I remember her just really being like, oh, I don't think it's happened. She got really, really, really heavy periods and had hot sweats like for a bit. But I just, either that or she just didn't tell me. Do you know what I mean? Like, that is one of the two options. Just got on with it. Yeah. But why should she just get on with it? My mother-in-law is not just getting on with it. She is going to see all manner of doctors and on waiting lists and making demands and shouting at people on Facebook about how crappy it is. And why is it the sort of last bastion of things you realise? Because oldness is like... Yeah. really deeply unattractive in women is that what it it's is exactly that's what it is and it's because nobody wants to admit to being menopausal or certainly over 50 but that's just bloody great being over 50 but okay. yeah you're like oh, I mean how long have you got that would be a whole another hour on here but it must just be that yeah. people don't want to admit it but people don't want to admit it not for any failing of their own just because that you know you basically it's like you're out to pasture um, yeah, I mean personally exactly. I had my last baby when I was 27 I'm you know staring down the barrel of 30 years of pointless periods I was a bit yeah. sort of like I, I want this like then I watched all those things and I think I can't even believe I was so glib about it like you know your bone density and I'm starting now I'm already starting to do weights and things to try and improve my bone density um 
and things like that. But I was on a doorstep in Batley and Spen during the by-election. And this woman, who was by no means definitely going to vote Labour, in fact, she was being very robust with me. She had a broken ankle. She was saying to me, I've had all sorts of trouble at work because I've had to have time off for my broken ankle. And I didn't like it after I broke my wrist. And then I had time for that. So they were a bit cross with me. Can you, you know, can you get someone to call me and help me? Because my work is a bit bad. And I said, I know we've only just met each other, madam, on the doorstep. And you've already been quite angry with me about various things to do with the Labour Party. But I'm going to ask you a question now. Are you going through the menopause? And do you have osteoporosis because of, or, or do you have osteoporosis because of the menopause? And she said, do you know what? I'm going to go and ask and be tested because I think you might be right. I think it might be that. I think so. Um, yeah. I think it might be that because she, the way she described how she'd fallen over, she just literally got over a ledge and her ankle had snapped. And I was like, that, that doesn't sound right. And she was like, do you know, I think it might be osteoporosis. And I said, well, what did you do going through the menopause? Did you have any hormone replacement or anything? And she was just like, oh, no, no, no. I just was going to cope. And I was like, OK, I really want you to go to the doctors and I want you to push mm. that you have uh, proper assessments for, for all of these sorts of things and make sure that you're all right and this is a complete stranger now I can do I can talk to people about raping Tesco's anything I will get women to talk to me about it it's the first time ever because you know it's been written about much more recently that I was able to risk assess somebody having a tiny bit more information meant that I could pass that on to that person and I just knew so little before people recently started talking about it. Yeah, well, I think that that's the problem is that it's not just you and me that didn't know anything about it. It's like doctors don't know very much about oh, yeah. it. You know, I've spoken to nurses who've said all my training in menopause has been on the job. I and mean, I, I, I literally I, don't I know anything. I totally believe that thing about HRT giving you breast cancer. Like, I totally believed that. Yeah, because that was what all the publicity was. I mean, I genuinely, the only thing I could have told you about HRT was I'm not going to have it because it increases your chance of breast mm. cancer. And I like to think of myself as being slightly elevated from the stuff that gets written about in the papers and having a slightly better... better you know I was totally hoodwinked by that and I have thought that for years I have thought that and I remember thinking oh you know I'm just not going to do any of that what now I'm going to be like stick on the patches I'm going to cover my exactly yeah because until recently nobody talked about osteoporosis and urinary tract infections and how you know HRT helps stop all of those things it's worth just going on it now I mean yeah not having UTIs Jesus Christ, I mean, people, more people should talk about that. Like, UTIs, yeah. it's not a bane of a woman's life for the whole of yeah. her life. Uh, but it's like, in, in terms of menopause, I just think the situation would be so much, because several people have said to me, oh, you're just basically gendering women by asking them about menopause. And, you know, what? but no, I, I want to know about, I want to know if Nicola Sturgeon's in the middle of menopause. You know, I can guarantee menopause. you now that when I start to go through the menopause, if I am still in Parliament, I will say, sorry, my mind's gone foggy now. It's because I'm going through the menopause. I'm going to hold you to that. I will, I will gladly, I will gladly do it. I declared an interest in the period poverty debate by saying I'd like to declare an interest. I've got my period at the moment. My friend who is perimenopausal went and told her boss, like went straight in and was like, actually, you know, I, I feel I've got to tell you this because it's definitely been affecting my work a little bit. So she went in and talked, she's a teacher. She went in and told her boss and her boss was like, oh my God, thank God, me too. And they <laughs> and, like bonded over it. I was like, oh God, why? why? 
we can talk about childbirth in the most minute detail. Yes. Why can't we talk about this? Eh? Yeah. It goes back to what you said at the beginning. It's like, is it that we don't want to admit it because we think we'll be written off as over the hill? And it, I think it is that. Yeah. I mean, that's got to be, it's got to come from an original squeamishness that like the 90s got rid of in women about talking about sex, sex in the city. Yeah. All the way back <laughs> to the beginning. And I have to say, this is the same in almost all women's issues is that it even the activism on women's issues falls off a cliff for women over the age of 50 and not the mm. women themselves they don't fall off a cliff and the many <laughs> activists although you'd are. be forgiven for thinking so <laughs> um, yeah. like in every meeting i've ever been in about commissioning better specialist domestic abuse services somebody will put up their hand and say well what about services for men that is literally like a standing item it's like yeah okay we we, we have got services for men there are specialist services for men um, but do you know what there are no specialist services for older women nobody ever puts up their hand and says do you know what it does seem to me that the average age of women in service is like 16 to 50 it's like a cheap holiday isn't it 16 to 50 is like <laughs> it's like 18 to 30 you know the lack of specialism for older women and also disabled women um, around domestic abuse services, sexual violence services is woeful. The gender pay gap is massive, much, much bigger at the older mm. end, and that rarely gets the same attention. You know, so there is a bit of a black hole and a bit of a big gap around basically older women's visibility in anything, even in feminism. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we're literally just starting a conversation. It's quite interesting. You see a conversation start and then begin to take off and then you can see people get a bit bored with it. Yeah. No, 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 no. We are only just beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I wrote a thing about watching that menopause program that Tavina McCall did. And I think I've never, apart from, you know, initially when I was like, I care about domestic abuse and you get hundreds of emails from people all over the country saying that this is happening to me. I had hundreds and hundreds of women mm -hmm. going through the menopause telling me this is what it was like for me. And you know what? As soon as someone works out that they can make some cash from it, then services will start to get better. Anyone who is listening who wishes to make a lot of money, you've got a massive audience. It is a huge audience. It's crazy. It's like, I mean, my book was published nearly a year ago now, and I get an email or a DM or something every single day yeah. from someone. Yeah. Every day. It's just, just phenomenal, isn't it? Nuts. No, I will I will gladly say I am going through the menopause when I am going through the menopause. I will I, I will wear it as a, a mark of pride. Excellent. What's your emotional age? I mean, the answer is fourteen. <laughs> I'm 14 uh, until I spend any time with anyone who is 14 and then I'm like I am 500 years old um, yes. but I definitely feel like I peaked at 14 <laughs> you're 14 in 1985 not 14 now yeah <laughs> um recommend a book either one you've just read that you really loved or one that you keep going back to or I mean the book that I read over and over again is Secret Diary of Adrian Mole and even then it's a thing about a teenage boy it is so brilliantly written by a brilliant woman whose voice about politics amongst working class people and and lower middle class people is just timeless god i need to go back and read them again They're brilliant i used to be like i want to be like pandora who did end up a labor mp by the end of the saga so maybe i really committed to that uh being pandora both ways literally pauline mole adrian's mom is my lodestar i love her <laughs> i love her 
What one piece of advice would you give younger women? I think it is get a team. And I don't mean to like do a specific task. I think that the best thing about being a woman by a country mile is our relationships, the payoff of that labour and responsibility of friendships and bonds between you and your team of women is like rocket fuel. And so just, you know, look after your team and let them look after you. Uh, who's your old bird role model? And, and this is just terrible. I, I refer to her as an old bird. But I, no, I, we're reclaiming I, it. We're reclaiming it. Uh, it, it, would be, it would be Harriet Harman. It will always be Harriet Harman to me. I mean, also, she looks amazing. Like, she is timeless. She's a timeless How individual. How old is she now? She's 70, I think. What's your superpower? My superpower is humour. The craft of comedy to tell a serious story is my superpower. It makes people trust me almost instantly that I can laugh at myself. In my game, you need people to trust you instantly. Brilliant. And how many fucks do you give? Almost no fucks at all is how many fucks I give most of the time. I give them. I'll give them all day. But by the time it comes to it, I'm like that, fuck it. I don't give any fucks at all. I give a huge amount of fucks about the world. Ultimately, I am a, a bit of a nihilist. I'll be like, let's just go for it no matter what. It's brilliant. Thanks, Jess. No worries. You're going to miss your train. I am going to miss my train if I don't go. <laughs> I've got to get my washing out as well. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. You can hear a new episode of The Shift each Tuesday on Acast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please do rate, review, and follow, because it really does help other people find us. And if you'd like to know more about my own experience of shifting, my book, The Shift, How I Lost and Found Myself After 40, and You Can Too, is out now in paperback. See you next time. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTER Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi. 
This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.